Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's going on, Bird Gang? This is Darren Sproles here. I just want to thank you all for tuning in to Eagles Brawl, the Brawl Network. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating. Fly, Eagles, fly. This is a Brawl Network production. You're listening to the Eagles Brawl Podcast. E-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles! Here to take you on the road to victory. It's Connor Miles, Ed Cross, Johnny Page, and Tyler Steege. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Eagles Brawl of the Brawl Network, powered by Fanatics, DraftKings, and Manscaped. Wherever you're listening, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Radio.com, we greatly appreciate it. Co-host Connor Miles here with my Eagles Brawl insider, Ed Krass. Ed, I wrote that it was so such an honor to do podcasting with you and handsome, noble, <laughs> writer like yourself. Yeah. And... I woke up this morning and Marcus Hayes quoted it and told me, I don't know the definition of noble. Like, Did he? I didn't yeah, see that. What's up with that, man? I th- you would think that Ed would have the best reputation of all the Eagles writers. I mean, you're in the least dramatic, <laughs> you're, the, you're literally the least dramatic writer. I, we would never see some crazy angle article from Ed where he says that the two players confronted Doug Peterson on the field when it never happened or pointing at Carson Wentz's right white privilege, we would never see these type of articles from you. And that yeah. I wrote that and all these writers, John McMullen likes it laughing and and uh Marcus Hayes quotes it with that. I, I'm like, what wait, what's reput- what is Ed's reputation <laughs> in the press box that we don't know about? Man, I missed all that trauma. Um well I haven't seen Marcus all year. I mean he hasn't been to a game or obviously there's been no pra- well practices, but he hasn't gone to a practice that I've seen him. Um that I can think, but yeah, I'm, I'm friends with Marcus. I don't, maybe he was just kidding. I mean, uh, he's kidding. Yeah. yeah, just, yeah uh, sure. It's funny. I'm like, Hey man, it's got a reputation. This Eagles press box that we don't know about, I guess. Yeah. But he didn't take issue with my handsome, the, the comment about being handsome. Huh? That's funny. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I, Marcus is a good guy. I mean, I, I've spent time on road trips with Marcus before. So anyways, let's get into this. Yeah. Eagles mess that we call the Philadelphia Eagles, though, because there's a lot of dysfunction going on right now, Ed, and a lot of you know players saying Jason Kelsey, Brandon Graham say one thing, Miles Sanders and Kayvon Wallace on Twitter say the opposite. I mean, hmm. th- there's a lot of disconnect, it looks like, throughout this team, and then you and I have been preaching it throughout the whole entire year that we think there's a disconnect between Howie and Doug, but now it looks like there's like a divided locker room on top of all of that, to end the season. So my question to you, Ed, is do you think with this move that Doug Peterson did with Nate Sudfeld, I know the leaders of the team, their their opinion matters more than, I mean, Miles Sanders and Kayvon Wallace and a bunch of others. But, I mean, is there a chance that w- when Doug made this move and he pulled Jalen out of the game, he puts Nate Sudfeld in, and this team knew where they were heading after they made that decision that, uh, Doug could have potentially lost some guys in the locker room by making this decision. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not putting this decision on Doug. I do think it was more of a higher up decision personally. That's in a personal opinion, but I mean, it, 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 it just seems weird that Jason Kelsey and Brandon Graham say one thing publicly. And then these other players say a different thing. It looks like there's too much disconnect, disconnect going on for my liking for this team. Yeah. I, yeah, um, I, I I agree. I just think it was communicated poorly by Doug, and you know he's he's not always the best communicator. Let's face it, but um, it seems like certain parts of the team kind of knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he was reportedly taking some first team reps during practice, um, and yet Jason comes out and says, "What's going on?" I mean, he was the one probably giving Sudfeld the reps right at center. Right. I don't know why he would question that. 
Um, but yeah, I think this was a move that came from on high, obviously, to get the sixth pick instead of the ninth or tenth pick. And, um, you know, Doug's the one that has to, you know, shoulder the blame on this, uh, being left to hang out to dry. You know, to me, I've written that they should, the Eagles front office should come out with some kind of a statement to try to set this thing right. Um, what it would be is just, you know, we, we knew the same thing, you know, same message. Um, we didn't, weren't tanking, but I think they needed to come out with some kind of an issue to, to sort of back this, you know, to kind of make this whole thing go away. Cause it's not going to go away. And he may have lost some players in the locker room. I think Miles Sanders was caught off guard when he was asked that on the radio, on a radio program earlier in the week. I think he was caught off guard by it. And, you know, he, he came off looking not real good with, by saying, you know, nobody agrees with it, uh, in the, you know, in the, in the locker room. So, um, you know, Doug does have some probably some work to do behind the scenes to kind of repair uh, whatever damage that he created inside that locker room. And then nationally, I don't know how you get that back. I don't know how you walk back what happened. Um, I think had Nate Sudfeld started the game instead of Jalen Hurts, then you don't have a problem. You know, right. uh, it, it is what it is. We're starting our third string guy, but to put him in there in the fourth quarter uh, when, you know, there it's a three-point game. And even to try a fourth and five throw into the end zone, you know, fourth and goal, um, instead of kicking a field goal that would have tied the game. I mean, that to me is probably even a bigger issue. I know Doug goes forward on fourth down a lot, but I don't know why you don't kick the field goal in that situation to make it 17-17 and, and then go from there. Um, right. So that to me was probably something that gets overlooked. Everybody's talking about Sudfeld coming in for Hurts, but I think not kicking that field goal at the end of the third quarter and having Jalen Hurts try a fourth and goal throw into the end zone, I, th- I thought that was, you know, I thought that was a big tell too that they really weren't playing to win the game. And uh, you know, I don't have a problem with that to be honest. I mean, uh, why? I mean, this they, the team the way that they draft. You want the sixth pick. The difference is for the for the Eagles, the difference between the ninth pick and the sixth pick is catastrophic. Yeah, they've been drafting lately. They need the six. I mean, everybody talks about the integrity of the game, but listen, I mean, the NFL, they played, they let the Cleveland Browns play without any wide receivers. They let the Denver Broncos play without a quarterback, you know, all because of the COVID. And, and, you know, I saw the, you know, people put out there that Brett Favre, when Michael Strahan was going for the NFL sack record, Brett Favre just laid down for him. I mean, where's the integrity there? And where, where's the integrity when the Pittsburgh Steelers are kind of, resting all their guys to play the Cleveland Browns last week. How do you think the people in Miami feel? Yeah, the Browns are about to start their playoff game without their head coach. Right, I know. Another, I think there's some other coaches that are going to miss the game too. But Yeah, they're in um, a bad position for their first playoff game in like years and nobody's feeling sorry for them or stopping the game for them or yeah, like yeah. that. I mean, I agree with you, but I think one thing that you said that needs to be highlighted is, and I've said it before too on previous episode, Nate Sutfeld should have started that game. That's what yeah. the issue is. Nate should have been the starter of that game, and the way that they went about it is what the issue is here. It's not. I don't have no issue doing what they did. I don't have an issue with pulling Jalen and putting Nate in. I have an issue of how you did it, like where you did it. Mm-hmm. I start the game off with Nate Sutfeld and say, hey, it's week 17. We have nothing to play for. There's nothing that Jalen Hurts could have done in that game that I could evaluate. I'm sorry. I have Matt Pryor, left tackle, Brett Toth, the right tackle, it's not going to happen. There's nothing that Jalen Hurts can show me without Miles Sanders on the field, what he can do that I can build upon or use to decide if he's going to be my starting quarterback next year in this game. It's not going to happen. And it, it didn't. There's nothing in that game where I thought Jalen Hurts has finally cemented himself as the Eagles starting quarterback in 2021. And I'm something's against him. I don't blame him. There was nothing he could have possibly done in that game to show me that. The, his the cards were stacked against him. They arrested what eleven starters. I mean, yeah, you know, and they gave him some kind of an injury. I know Miles Sanders did have a banged up knee, but yeah, they were without you know Fletcher Cox, Dallas Goddard, uh, Derek Barnett, Miles Sanders. Yeah, they threw Jalen Hurts to the Wolves. That's why I was completely yeah. fine with. I mean, I I I would have started Nate Sudfeld from the start. I think that's where the Eagles messed up. I think that's where Doug messed up and. That's really why they're getting laughed at lately by the whole entire league for being a joke right now. It's the way that they handled it was poorly. If they would have went into that game mm-hmm. and they took those starts, 
I think we're having a little bit different conversation than we are today. Hey, we're trying to preserve Jalen. You can give him that phantom injury. Miles Sanders would have played if it wasn't for a meaningless game, like you said. Right. So Right. And, and even Hertz had the, the lower body tightness or whatever it was coming out of uh, the Dallas game. You know, they were talking about how he was a little banged up coming out of that game. I mean, I, yeah, they should have started Sudfeld, but it just kind of falls in line with what the Eagles have done lately. You know, they, they haven't made a lot of good decisions, obviously, uh, all season long, and this was just one in a long line of them. That's why when everybody's asking, like, what about the veterans? Like, how do you tell this to the veterans that you're packing it in instead of winning five games, you're winning four? Like, how do you tell your veterans that? And I'm like, I, I think that for Zach Ertz, Jason Kelsey, all these veterans on this team, Brandon Graham, I think they understand what, that this is how the season's going. Like you just said, this is what the 2020 Eagles is. I mean, Doug was on the hot seat. We were questioning if he was going to lose his job or questioning Hyder Roseman's job status. We're questioning the starting quarterback of this team, Carson Wentz. We're questioning the roster construction going forward with the cap situation as it is. That This is the 2020 Eagles. This was what it was. I don't think – I mean, I, I know it caught the younger players off by surprise. I know Jalen wasn't happy, which I think a little people are blowing up. Jalen being unhappy and what, what, what this can do for Doug. Jalen's a competitor. He never wants to be pulled. I mean, when people always bring up how he's benched for 2-0 at Alabama and – he was equipped for transferring. I I disagree. I think the man just wanted a starting job. The guy wants to start in football. He's a, in his head. He's a starting talented. I mean, he's a starting caliber quarterback. So, I think pulling Jalen, he was just frustrated by the fact that he's not out there playing, and he did do everything right, as he said on the sidelines. He, I mean, as it looked like he has a woody mouth, but we need they need the fourth pick it's the truth it's just this team at the position that they're in they i mean excuse me not the fourth but they need the sixth pick yeah they couldn't have had the ninth pick and you played a video on your memories on facebook i saw the other day and i, I that's the game i referred to perfectly was chip kelly's uh the game before they fired chip kelly week 17 against the giants they have nothing to play for uh they either go 6 and 10 or 7 and 9 that was the only good thing from it and they beat the giants the giants I mean, that was a good game, but the Giants were trying to win that game either. You could tell from that game. I mean, you were there. Yeah. The Eagles, I mean, they looked like they were trying to play for Pat or Bradford was trying to play for his future with his team, and they're trying to get Pat the job and all that stuff. They go out and win, and it does nothing. They get rid of Pat anyways. They brought in Doug. They got rid of Bradford eventually. But the thing that messed up for them is the pick. Mm. So then they had to move all all the way up from 13 to 8 to 2 to get the quarterback they wanted. I think, personally, the effort, the work that went into that, just because they won that game against that meaningless game against the Giants, probably was a factor into their head going into this this game. That's a so, great hey, I, I was like, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. I don't want to have to. It was really impossible what I did anyways. I, I traded Byron Maxwell, Kiko Alonso, and DeMarco Murray to get some picks to move up and get Carson once that doesn't happen every day. I'm not going to be able to do that this offseason with our cap situation being is what it is. I need to have that higher pick. I need to get the more talented player. That's my opinion. I think that he yeah. looks back at that situation and says, look at what I did to get from 13 to eight to two. I don't want to do that again. I want to stay at six. I want to be whenever that, that run on quarterback happens in the top five and get that top five caliber core, um, excuse me, get that top five caliber player. At six, that should have went in the top five, and let's rock, baby, because I'm not going to get that at nine. Yeah, I want, and that's a great point. I mean, I didn't think of that. That could have played, you know, a role in Howie's reasoning there. But um, wonder where they would have picked had they lost that game in 2016 because they won and they picked 13, and then like you said, they moved all the way up. But I wonder where a loss would have ninth. I think they were. I think it was in ninth. ninth. I mean, this is a long time ago, but I think it was ninth. To be honest with you. Yeah, so you wouldn't have had to do all that work and trade some of that capital away. I mean, obviously Maxwell didn't have the year you hoped, and he had a big contract. But right, how he finessed. It was just unheard of, though. And honestly, Mike Mike Tannenbaum was in charge of the Dolphins back then, so you don't really have that many not smart personnel men in charge of teams right now. Yeah, yeah, I know. So it would have been harder to move up, even going from nine or ten, wherever they would have picked with a loss to number six or higher, and. Now they're sitting in this primo spot. They can do whatever they want. I mean, it's a it's a great place to be. I love having. I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. The sixth pick in this in in, in any draft, like 
any draft is the best pick to have, I think. Yeah. Because there's always the quarterbacks that shouldn't go in the top five. They go in the top five. That push those top five caliber players. And six is the prime spot to catch one of those players that shouldn't fall out of the top five. Yeah. It's going to happen because there's going to somebody's going to trade up for a quarterback. Someone's going to, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is going number one of the Jaguars. That's set in stone. Somebody's mm-hmm. going to trade up for Justin Fields. And then once Justin Fields is off the board, someone's going to feel compelled to move up to get Zach Wilson so he doesn't get picked or Trey Lance or so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. That just puts the Eagles in the prime position at number six to have like a Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, uh, Caleb Fairley, Patrick Certain, Micah Parsons, even though it's not going to happen. They're not going to take a linebacker at the first round pick. I, I will stand on that that hill and firmly die on it. But yeah, my point is, you're going to get that. Maybe even Pino Sewell, C- uh, like from Oregon. Maybe he falls to six. I don't mm-hmm. know. But there's going to be one of those caliber players that falls to six, and the Eagles are going to be in prime spot to take that. That's what I think is a huge thing here. And when you're at nine, not so much. Yeah. You're you're up in the air. Those players that uh six, seven, and eight probably got those players that I'm talking about were picked there. And now you're at nine and you're fiddling your phone, your your fingers trying to figure out your draft board. Now, how you can just go into a draft and I will remind the the listeners who hate on how his draft picks, when he picks in the top ten, they're getting a good player. They know what they're doing in the top 10. After that, not so much. But in the top 10, yeah. I'm a little confident that they're going to get the right player in here. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I think the Dolphins did him a favor in 20, was it 13 when Lane came as the fourth pick? I mean, Deion Jordan was sitting there, and I know the Eagles were probably going to take Deion Jordan, Chip Kelly's guy out of Oregon. Uh, and yeah, the Dolphins really looked out. Yeah, the Dolphins helped them. Otherwise, you know, we could be sitting here saying, well, how he stinks in the top 10 too. Even True. You know, but but the Dolphins kind of saved them from themselves on that one by taking Deion Jordan. Eagles ended up with Lane Johnson. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get the sixth pick wrong. I mean, in, in 2000, they took Corey Simon. Um, Howie really wasn't running the show back then, obviously. Um, but, right, but he was there. You know, made 78 starts, had 30 sacks or so as a defensive tackle. Of course, Simon was a very good player. Yeah, yes. very good player. And then, of course, he took Carson – you know, second overall. I mean, they haven't had the top 10 pick in the draft very often. Um, you know, I think it's, I think I did the homework on it. I think it's been 11 times since 1980 that they've taken someone in the top 10. They took McNabb number two, obviously in 99 and then Corey Simon. Um, but they usually get it right in the top 10 is, is what I'm saying. I mean, they took Mike Mamola way back when, I think in 1985 or whenever that was that, yeah, that was a little before. Yeah, that was before anybody's time. But, time yeah. yeah, but I mean, they, they, they all get it right, I would think. And, you know, they could even trade back a couple spots if they if they feel like they need a quarterback. Um, you know, and that all depends on Carson Wentz and what they're going to do or what he's going to do this offseason. Because if he goes, Eagles are going to need quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts will be the only one under contract. All right. So before we get into that little spiel and get into that discussion, because I'm going to save that for a little bit, let's talk about Howie and Doug. I mean, do you do you think everything going on and the way that they handled their pressers? Because I thought that was the most awkward Zoom presser I've ever listened to in my life when they were together. Um, do you think they're on the same page? I don't. No, I, I don't either. I think um, there's a lot of blame to go around, and um, I think both of them are kind of pointing their fingers at one another behind the scenes. And that to me is why it's so surprising. Jeffrey Lurie went in this direction to kind of bring this, this dysfunction back uh, and force them to try and do it again for another season. I, I was surprised by that. Um, yeah, I can't believe that. I really, I, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's crazy to me. And I know everybody's going to say, well, what about his first year? I never count the first year of head coaches. You, you, you have to throw that out. They're they're adjusting to the team. They're building. Usually, when a first year head coach comes in, a team is completely changing of the guard anyway. So I I try to throw their first year out. Uh, what they do. So Andy Reid, my friend, did not survive a four win season with Philadelphia. Once he hit four wins, they fired him. Mm-hmm. Doug Peterson hits four wins, and they're like, let's try this again. I think that's pretty big. I think it's bigger than what we we made known because Jeffrey Lurie has been giving him multiple chances more than people think. I mean. Nine and seven, 
and barely scratching into the playoffs is not what Doug Peterson meant by the new norm, and that's not what Jeffrey Leary expected after winning the Super Bowl. Um, I just go back to the story on when the Eagles beat the Bears by the double doink, and Leary was not happy with the offense, putting up 16 points. He was furious. And you could see that he that story ended up being true because they go into the offseason and they forced Doug to fire Mike Rowe. Like, we need to see some changes. We need this offense to improve. And now it even got way worse than it was last the year before. So, I mean, they didn't make they didn't make him fire Mike Rowe after 2018, but they did the year after in 2019 when the offense was again bad. And now you go into it this year and it was even worse. So, I, to me, I'm like, how many chances are you going to give Doug Peterson, honestly? I think, look, I love you, Doug, for the Super Bowl, but if anything you're showing me ever since your your staff has been completely poached, you're not as good as we thought you were. And that's what, that's what started happen to, happening to Andy. You know, a lot of his staff started to get picked over and then he didn't make good decisions in bringing in assistant coaches. And really to me, a head coach is really only as good as his assistant coaches. Cause they're it's the ones crazy how, how good he is in Kansas city building up coaches now. Yeah. But when he was here, it was like Brad Childers, Pat Shermer, I guess. Ron, I mean, Ron Rivera, but I, I don't even know. Yeah, and he, had, he had Jim Johnson, uh, you know, he had Sean McDermott, uh, you know, on his defensive staff. He had John Harbaugh as a special teams coordinator. I mean, he had a lot of pretty good coaches. I mean, you know, Brad Childress didn't work out. Not all of them are going to work out. Right. But, you know, toward the end, that was a big issue was his assistant coaches moving Juan Castillo from offensive line to defensive coordinator. It's like putting Jeff Stoutlin in charge of the defense. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's just not a good idea. Uh, so I think that was kind of it. I think Andy's limit, had, you know, had to run his course. And maybe Jeffrey's like, you know, Doug's only been here this five years now, and he did win a Super Bowl, something Andy never did. Um, you know, listen, I, I don't agree with what he did. I'm just trying to maybe get inside Jeffrey's head here to see what he might have been thinking. Oh, the Super Bowl's got to be the reason. I don't yeah. know what else other than that you bring Doug Peterson back from what he's doing so far. You know, and it could it could be too is like next year there's going to be a lot of roster churn for a lot of reasons, and one of them is going to be the salary cap. They're so far over that they have to really play a lot of young guys next year. And, um, you know, maybe they felt like they couldn't get the kind of coach that they would want to come into this kind of situation where you're so far over the salary cap. Um, you don't know what kind of moves you're going to be able to make in free agency. So maybe they thought Doug was just the best guy to see if he can kind of lead this new young team to however many wins, realistically thinking maybe it's not going to be more than five or six again. Uh, and, and then maybe we make the move and then we can bring in the head coach that we want because we're kind of out from under this salary cap mess. Uh, and we have had a roster now that has churned a couple times. And maybe that's a little more attractive to the kind of coach they want. I see your point with that, but I mean, do you really think Jeffrey wants to sit through another lame duck season? No, yeah, no. he's not the type of owner. I don't. I don't. I'm just. I'm just really trying to brainstorm ideas. Yeah, you're trying to rationalize. Could have been thinking, and is it all Super Bowl? Maybe it is. Maybe he's just like, hey, Doug won a Super Bowl three years ago. We can't get rid of that. You know, we saw. And I thought Ron Rivera made a great point before they played about this when he talked about um, Doug having a culture that he's built. Uh, and then referring to guys like John Harbaugh, who struggled after they won a Super Bowl, Sean Payton, same way, Mike Tomlin uh, in Pittsburgh, and, and those organizations stuck with those guys because of that culture. And by not having that turnover, here they are again. They've built themselves back up, uh, and they're in the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, maybe he looked at that, too. I mean, I really thought that was a great analysis by Ron. And, you know, he used to work in Philadelphia, Rivera. So whatever he said may have carried some weight with with Jeffrey too. True. I mean, that's a good point. And it, it is a good point. Ron Rivera has a point there. I just think when you look at those staffs, the Pittsburgh Steelers have a solid coaching staff. I mean, this New Orleans Saints have a solid coaching staff. That I mean, both those teams rarely get coaches picked either. I mean, they Mike Munchak is like the huge, the biggest loss coaching wise for the Steelers the last couple of years. And it's a huge loss, mind you, but it, it was their biggest loss coaching wise. And Sean Payton, Nobody picks his staff. I mean, Pete Carmichael, their offensive coordinator, deserves head coaching uh, looks, and he's not getting it. Uh, they have Dennis Allen on the defensive side, who failed as a head coach with the Raiders, but, I mean, he was a very young at the time, and most young head coaches fail with the Raiders as is. And now he's taking that defensive over, and their defense has been one of the best in the league since he's become defensive coordinator. So 
they those what you're talking about that were John Hombard too. I mean, Greg Roman's no slouch and uh Martindale, their defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale is a great defensive coordinator. So those the the here's the issue here is maybe yes, Ron Rivera's right about Doug, but I also know that Doug needs help. He's the coach yeah. of other coaches around him. And I don't know if because Ed, he was the problem why there wasn't offensive coaches around him this year, though. It was his fault. He wouldn't give up any type of play calling and no no offensive coordinator or up and coming like Graham Harrell, for example, who they went after at USC, young, innovative play caller who is probably looking for to progress as a coach. You're not going to progress as a coach underneath Doug Peterson because he's going to have to. There is no way, absolutely no way I could possibly foresee any way at all. And I don't know if if this was even guaranteed at the end of the year meetings because I seriously doubt it just knowing. And I I know you're going to agree with me because knowing the type of coach Doug is and you talk to him all the time, he's not going to give up play calling fully. There's no way. There's absolutely no way he's going to sit there and be pretty. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. I mean, that's why he wants to. That's why. That's why he won't give it up. He loves to do it so much. But I agree with you there. Um, so who are you going to get? I mean, is it going to be Press Taylor, the guy that's there? Is Press Taylor going to be the guy that gets Carson to come back because they're, you know, such good friends? I mean, is that what it's going to take to, you know, to uh, to get Carson to come back by keeping Press Taylor? And we know we know Press doesn't need to call the plays because he's been through a couple seasons now with Doug, and uh, until. I guess late in the season, he gave him a little bit of play calling duty. Um, but press is going to be fine if he calls the plays or not. And maybe he gets Carson to come back. So, you know, will it be press or will they go outside the organization? And Doug agrees that, you know, Hey, I'll give my new guy a half to call the plays, kind of like Andy gave Doug when he was in Kansas city, you know, Andy gave Doug a half of, of play calling, whether it was the first half or the second half, but gave Doug that experience and that taste. And Doug loved it. You know, now he's addicted to it and he doesn't want to give it up. And he's a Super Bowl head coach, so he doesn't feel like he should have to give it up. And I completely understand that, but he does. He needs to. I mean, mm-hmm. he just needs to find his Frank Reich. And I think if you pitch that to him, some one way, shape, or form, and say, "Hey, maybe like a Jim Caldwell coming in here and knowing that he's not here to take a head coaching job, and he wants us to be the offensive coordinator, maybe he can be your Frank Reich because you're similar in age. You've both been head coaches in this league." You both understand the terminology of this league, the layout of this league, the the way the business works. Like maybe that would be somebody who has the same mindset as you, but can help. I mean, I think Jim Caldwell would help Carson Wentz a ton uh, from what he did with Matthew Stafford. Because I think the situations are similar where the players are at yeah, their their time in their careers. But even if it's not Carson Wentz, I think Jim Caldwell can benefit uh, Jalen Hurts as well. Because I don't I don't think Ed with everything going on with Carson Wentz. He does not play into my coaching decisions. It's, I don't think that's fair for the team to do that because, I mean, you have Carson who played terrible this year and then ended up being benched, uh, and really there's nothing but drama about him right now. Yeah. So if I'm going to uh, make these moves to appease the quarterback that I benched for Jalen Hurts, uh, I I don't know if that's the smartest coaching decision. To be honest with you, I'm not sure that's the smartest decision for the Eagles long term. I, I have to go home for an outside hire. I don't disagree with you. I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, that's no way to do it. But, you know, remember, this is the Eagles we're talking about. And right. their decision-making, you know, these last few months has not been flawless by any means. So uh, would, it, would it be the right decision to do that? No. But would could the Eagles do it? Absolutely they could do it if that's what Absolutely. it means. Absolutely. I wouldn't put a pass on it. I'm actually expecting it, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm coming around on that myself. Because if you bring in – because if your if your opinion is right, if if they're saying you know we need to evaluate this year, take another evaluation year, and let Doug uh, be in charge of this rebuild that we're, we're starting, if they really think that and they think they want to ride out with Doug Peterson, that you have to accommodate him with the staff that understands him and knows him. And what better way to do that than to promote from within? But I just think it's the wrong move. I mean, how many times are you gonna do that for it not to work? Mike Rowe was promoted from within, didn't work. Uh, Press Taylor, somewhat promoted from within, didn't work. You brought Morning Morning Wing back, didn't work. I mean, how many times are you going to keep trying things that yeah. you're familiar with doing for the same result to keep happening? It's insanity. 
Well, moving on, moving on from Mike wasn't Doug's idea, you know. Right, it wasn't Doug at all. And I, I, I mean, I read John's piece that he put out this week yeah. of the Eagles need to watch and with uh, what happened with the Mike Rota back on. Hopefully, that make sure it doesn't repeat itself. But I mean, I don't. Not only that, I mean, I think there's a huge thing here that I don't think Doug can build up his coaching staff. I don't think he can improve his coaches around him. Well, I think the more we talk about press, I mean, he probably has trust in press because he's been around now for a couple of years. He had that trust in Mike Grow. Um, so Doug could be going to bat for press as we speak when they say we need to go outside. And he says, listen, I had trust in Mike. You wanted me to get rid of him. I have trust in press and I want him back. Let's do it my way this time. Bring back the guy that I trust, whether or not the fan base trusts him or not. I would say no. But Doug, right. if you trust him and he feels comfortable with him, uh, then then that's probably the way they're going to go. Um, and like you said, I mean, what up and coming coordinator uh, coach is going to want to come in and be a coordinator on an offense where he doesn't really have the ability to call plays? I know Frank Reich didn't call plays, but he had a big hand in the game planning and he had called plays in San Diego. So he did have that experience um, right. doing that. So um, that's a little bit of an anomaly. But a young coach like a Graham Harrell, like you mentioned, or you know whoever else is out there in the college game lighting it up as an offensive coordinator to come to the NFL level, you're going to want to be able to call plays. You're going to want to be able to take that next step. And um, if you can't do that, then you're not going to come. If you have loved ones that rely on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. With Policy Genius, you could save 50% or more by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, Policy Genius will compare prices starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to fast track your coverage with a no exam policy. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. If you have any questions, their team of licensed independent experts is on hand to help. In fact, Policy Genius's award winning service has a five star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Make today the day you cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. To get covered, head to policygenius.com today. You work hard for your money. Are you sure it's working hard for you? You could be sure with Merowest Credit Union. As a credit union, Merowest is all about people, you and me. So they do the right thing by offering us better rates, greater choices, and better service. Merowest Smart Rewards Checking is a perfect example. It's a checking account that pays you with rates up to 18 times the national average. Really, check it out at Merowest.com. And service? Merowest takes pride in what they do. Experience it. Your dreams and Merowest's values just go together. Consider Merowest today. And I don't know if Doug would, would go to bat for press more than Larry may because I think you're right. I think they want to piece Carson Wentz. I think that will be a huge decision at the end of the day is, look, we want Carson to be our quarterback. We want to right this ship. I mean, they're already actively going out trying to figure out ways to fix the relationship with Carson. Uh, and we know we know press and Carson's relationship actually pretty well. Uh, it's more buddy buddy than anything is it's well documented, but I just think I, I have to think about this whole entire roster, not one player when it comes to this decision of offensive coordinator. I mean, what I, I agree with you that this is might be the move that they're talking about and the move that they're discussing, but I, I don't think it's set in stone yet, or if it was, it would already happen. But I, I don't understand how you can go from watching everything this year and thinking we have the guys in place. It was just a COVID season. <laughs> like, I mean, come on, man. This is before COVID. You're barely scoring on offense as is. You mm-hmm. take a huge step back. That way before you tell Rich Gangrello to pack your bags after one season, tell Marty, you come on, like, we don't need these consultants anymore. Get the real offensive coordinator. Get the guy that, like, a Jay Gruden or a Jim Caldwell who needs to rejuvenate their career like Frank Reich did. Like, because that's where you're at right now. You have a veteran head coach, a veteran Super Bowl head, head, winning head coach. You're not going to convince him to bring in this whole into, new entire system. And if, 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 the only way you convince him that is if you fire him. I, I don't think Doug wants that much change. I think he thinks that he can fix this. I mean, he said it himself. Yeah, he I know. It himself. So yeah. you're keeping the same head coach. He's not going to rip, run, like destroy his script and rip up his offense and start all over again. He's going to stick with what he knows. It's that's how coaching works. You stick with what you know and you try to make it work. You adapt. Uh, 
he could even stick with the same structure, you know, keep, don't do anything. Don't bring in an offensive coordinator. Just keep press Taylor as your pass game coordinator slash quarterback coach and keep Jeff Stallin as your run game coordinator um, slash O line coach and keep Deuce Staley as your assistant head coach. I mean, what's the problem? Uh, just running, running it back that way. They need an offensive coordinator. <laughs> they need one. They need one. And it needs to be, uh, it needs to be something different than Doug. And he has to get on board with it. He has to, it just has to happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, if they fire press, then I wouldn't be surprised if 24 hours later, Carson Wentz comes out and demands a trade or asks to be well, traded. I mean, you can't, that, that, I, I, that report from work was incredibly real to me. I believed it from the first second it came out because it came out hours after, I mean, not hours, but it came out after like a day after it was announced that Peterson's back for the 2021 season. Mm-hmm. And then that report immediately comes out. And that's obviously, they can, I mean, Wharton and Adam can deny it all they want, but that's obviously agent talk. I mean, that's definitely Carson Wentz's agency that's saying, oh, you know, I'm, we're not really trying to put his future in Doug Peterson's hands because we're already seeing how that's going. And mm-hmm. we know how talented Carson is. Why would we want him to waste away with that sinking ship? I completely agree with it, to be honest with you. I understand it. But when that report came out, as soon as it was announced Doug was back for 2021, I was like, I believe it. That's true. I, I believe it's true. I think if it was Carson's choice, this team would have a new head coach. Yeah, for sure. It was Doug's sole decision to bench Carson. And that that put a, a stake right in that relationship. You know, it just ruined it, really, in Carson's eyes. You know, it was Doug's decision, and it was his alone. Um, and that's what I've been told. That's what Doug said when he made it. It's my decision alone. And there was some skepticism, but I've been told since that, yeah, it was Doug's decision. And how do you come back from that if you're Carson? You know, your coach kind of threw you under the bus, so to speak, when there were, you know, 10 other things wrong with the offense. And, yeah, Carson was part of it. And, yeah, he should take accountability for it. But when your coach throws you under the bus like that, uh, it's a hard thing to, to rebuild once you lose the trust. Right. And, I mean, it's not like your your opinion was that was the wrong move. It's not like I'm, I'm saying it's the wrong move either. It had to be made. Yeah. Like the way Carson was playing, it had to be made. But I will say – Doug shouldn't listen to what what I think should happen, what you think should happen, what the fans think should happen. He should roll with what the team he thinks is best for the team. And he thought what was best for the team was the bench Carson Wentz. Now, that's always going to be in Carson's head. I mean, Jared Goff, I see go out there and screw it up a lot. The quarterback that was picked before Carson Wentz, I see him screw up Sean McVay's system a lot, where Sean McVay could bench him. He would have the right to bench him for some of the, w- the way he's played. Peyton Manning, the last year he was in the league, very benchable. Uh, numerous other quarterbacks you can go on. I'm not even going to waste our time anymore. But that have struggled in this league that are not getting pulled at the first time of them struggling. And this was the first time, of course, someone really struggling was this year. I mean, this is his worst season as, as a professional football player by far. Um, and the first sign of it, Doug pulls him. I think that is telling for the relationship too. I don't think you can come back from that. I don't think it's salvageable. I really don't. I absolutely don't think it's salvageable. And now with the move of pulling Jalen Hurts, I wonder what you did in his head. I know it was a meaningless game. I know like it was talked about all week. Like we're going to try to evaluate Nate and uh, I would, it's not the same as benching Carson for Jalen as it was benching Jalen for Nate. But I mean, if you're Jalen, you're probably sitting there like my coach doesn't want to win. Yeah, like, I feel I, I just feel like it's hard to go to these two because they're both young quarterbacks. It's not like they're grizzly veterans. They're both still young quarterbacks and say, hey, like, trust this guy. Mm-hmm. Do another season with this guy. Let's see what happens. I mean, I don't I don't know how you can go to this players and do that. And I thought, again, going back to when Carson comes out and I mean reports this trade, maybe this, you know, Carson knows how much weight his words hold with the Eagles. Maybe that was his way of saying like, we get this report out there. Maybe, maybe this forces Jeffrey's hand. Maybe this for, I mean, with miles coming out and saying, you know, we were caught off guard and all the stuff going on right now. And this report coming out, maybe this forces their hand to make the right decision. But I mean, it still hasn't. So, so Peterson's still the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, it's just going to be interesting, man. I, I don't, I don't know. I wonder how it's going to unfold. Let's, let's ask you this real quick. Do you think, we saw the last of Carson once in Philadelphia Eagles uniform. Well, I, tell you, I get asked that question so much. Um, 
We're all trying to figure it out. Man. I mean, it's I early. It's too early to make that decision, but I mean. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to figure it out. But if you ask me to predict if he will be back, I, I would say that uh, no, I don't think he will. Um, I really don't. I mean, I just don't don't see how it can work uh, unless the Eagles come out and say, you know, next week, hey, Carson Wentz is going to be our starting quarterback in 2021. But then if you're Carson, yeah, that's great. But what's to prevent you if uh, from putting me back on the bench after three weeks if I'm still, you know, not playing up to whatever your standards are, you put me back on the bench. And, you know, now you're looking at a fan base that is clearly going to be divided in one side or the other. And Carson's going to be looking over his shoulder the first interception he throws for Jalen Hurts to come into the game. So I'm not sure that's fair to Carson to even say that next week. If they were to say it, he's our quarterback for 2021. Uh, I'm not sure that fixes anything. Um, I, to me, I just don't know how you fix it. I think the fix went out the window when the Eagles decided to bring Doug back. I think, yeah. like you said, Carson wanted a new head coach in here. And um, by not doing that now, kind of leaves the door open for Carson to leave. And I and I know they're going to have to take the salary cap hit. And I know that, you know, there's going to be a lot of ramifications along those lines. But I just don't see how you can have a team all invested, fully invested, pulling from the same side of the rope when you have two quarterbacks that uh, are going to divide that and they're, and they're going to make people choose which side they're on and, and including a fan base that hopefully they'll be back in the stadium next year and they'll make their uh, voices heard, whatever happens to who's ever the quarterback. Uh, once they start making mistakes, they're going to boo and it's going to be, they're going to make life rough for whoever that is that's struggling. So I don't know. I just don't see how you can have, you know, a team all on the same page with, a quarterback controversy like this. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't think they trade Jalen Hurts. I don't think that's an option that so I, I see people floated out there all the time. Like maybe they moved on from Jalen Hurts to fix the situation with Carson. I don't think so. I don't think it's gonna happen. I mean he's a twenty two year old guy under a second round draft pick contract, which is relatively cheap. Right. And with the situation going on that's going on right now, I mean and from what he showed you, I mean his ceiling he still hasn't even shown you his ceiling. And with the situation that's going on right now, Carson and everything that he also showed you this season, I don't know if I want to get rid of a quarterback with potential like that. With the salaries being what you said it is, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I, I, I wouldn't do that. I, again, I'm not making roster decisions or coaching decisions based on how Carson once feels. It's not. I think that they've done that enough, and I know that people are like, "What do you mean they never got Carson once help?" And I think they have, but just don't think it's been the right decisions obviously they've that's proven it but they've tried they've tried multiple times i don't think this team is capable of figuring out what's the right thing to do around carson Wentz. well i i think bring in nick Foles. <laughs> that's what i bring in nick Foles. bring in nick Foles to back up jalen hurts i mean he's the ultimate backup quarterback i'd bring in Foles, you know as your number two uh and then maybe draft somebody later and develop them i don't know but i i just think that yeah I, you're not going to trade hurts for a lot of reasons um, and you're going to have to trade Wentz and kind of bite the bullet uh, on that salary. And then knowing that you're doing that, but you still have a quarterback that's very cheap, and Nick Foles' contract isn't that bad. I mean, I think it's like a $4 million cap hit next year. Mm-hmm. So would that be would that be interesting to bring him back and let him be I feel like I would be in the twilight zone. Yeah. All this happens. Yeah. They move on from Carson Wentz and bring Nick Foles back. Right. Have Jalen Hurts as a starting quarterback, I would be in the complete twilight zone. Yeah, but listen, I'm not ruling that out. That could certainly happen. I think Doug Peterson will pound his chest for it. Give me yeah. the two quarterbacks I can win with. <laughs> Get rid of the quarterback I can't win with. Yeah, he's the ultimate backup. You make Hurts your starter. Nick's happy sitting in the background waiting patiently for his turn, and when he gets it, he usually takes advantage of it. At least here in Philadelphia, he does. Right. Uh, so, right. yeah. That would be that would be a fun uh, that'd be fun you know I think fans would be on board with that. I'm I can't get rid of Carson Wentz. I'm sorry. I just can't. I have to find a way to make it work. You don't. You don't. I love Jalen Hurts. I think his potential is there. I think he has a ceiling, and it's definitely if they decide to go that route, I will support it because I think you can build something there. I'm not sure the head coach can though. I'm not going to trust the head coach. Yeah, who destroyed a five year MVP caliber quarterback's uh, potential to bring up Jalen Hurts. I don't think Jalen Hurts fixed Doug Peterson anyways, though. Like, I never thought that from the start. But if they do decide to go that route, I will support it. But nothing is, 
the talent is there with Carson. Like when we pick apart this team this year, we always pick apart a player on the offense. And my thing is, why can't we just say, hey, you know, instead of just saying Carson played bad or Zach played bad or Jalen Rager played bad or so on and so forth played bad, why can't we just say the whole entire offense played bad? And it's probably because the system is, you know, bad. And the play caller is bad. So, and another thing, Ed, just to top this all off real quick and get into some more little different conversations is, it's so funny to me to think to see all these fans to see all the, like the media reaction is saying, "What will fix the Philadelphia Eagles as an offensive coordinator? We need an offensive coordinator to come in here and hold our offensive head coach's hand and babysit him and make sure he calls the right plays or make sure that uh, there's more creativity added to his offense." That does that sound right to you? No, it doesn't. Does it doesn't sound right to me at all. I, I don't understand because I posted this question on on our. Eagles Ball social media page and the resounding amount of answers said they have so much faith in Doug if he just has an offensive coordinator. And I'm like, did Doug become a defensive-minded head coach and I I missed it? Because I would be confident in Doug if the defense is playing good and he was a defensive-minded head coach and all he needed was an offensive coordinator. But that's not what this is. This is your offensive-minded head coach being in charge and calling one of the worst offenses in the league this year. And you're telling me an offensive coordinator with that thinks of an offense completely differently from your offensive minded head coach is the answer to that. No. That doesn't make sense. And then not only that, do you think, cause I don't, if an offensive coordinator comes in here and does well, that Jeffrey's just going to be like, Doug, get out of here. I'm going to promote this guy before he gets a head coaching job somewhere else. I don't think so. If they're yeah. successful and they're winning, I don't think Jeffrey Lurie goes, I'm going to pull Doug and promote the offensive coordinator to head coach so I don't lose him. I don't foresee that ever happening. So you're just playing yourself into the situation happening all over again, I feel like. Well, then you'd have to trust that you're going to make another good decision and bring in another offensive coordinator. I, I, that's wrong because I think you lucked into Frank Reich. You you lucked into Frank Reich being the scapegoat in San Diego when Mike McCoy was an awful head coach there. And you haven't been able to pick a good offense coordinator since. This team isn't the best of coordinators, Ed. I mean, Jim Schwartz, and we're going to get into this in a second, was the longest tenure defensive coordinator since Jim Johnson passed. Like this team isn't the greatest at picking coordinators. They after Frank Reich, Mike Rowe was a dud. They haven't figured it out since. And after really Brad Childers for I know Martin Morningwig was a long term offensive coordinator for Andy, but he was really a clipboard holder for Andy. I mean, come on, wasn't mm-hmm. like Martin Morningwig to Andy was not what Doug Matt Nagy and Eric Bimey have been to Andy. Martin Morningwig was a was a really bad head coach with the Lions. And took his relationship with Andy and ran with it for years with the Philadelphia Eagles. So they really have not. I mean, outside of Brad Childers and Andy Reid, didn't really have a good offensive coordinator. Uh, his final couple of years with the team, I don't think I. I don't know if I trust this team to pick the right coordinators. No, and they had Billy Davis in here for Chip Kelly, and he had to figure out a way to have his defense play. You know, like. 80% of the game because Chip Kelly's offense went so fast and that was unfair to Billy. But um, yeah, you're right. They haven't really picked any good offensive coordinators. I mean, who, who is Doug's coaching tree? I mean, I guess you have to put Frank Reich in there now at this point because he was here for the Super Bowl. And, um, right. Which I mean, it's still weird because Frank was such well known in this league. I mean, the yeah. Bills back up to Jim Kelly when he came in and had that crazy comeback uh, playoff victory and, I mean, he was with the Chargers. He was with the Colts before that, too. So the Colts already knew everything about him before they hired him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, they got I, – I fully think the Eagles locked into him. But, yes, you you have – I guess you do technically have to put that in Doug Peterson's tree. Yeah, but then who – I mean, Mike Rose, the receivers coach in Indianapolis, his, his, you know, his team's still playing today. And um, I don't know. I just – you're right. They haven't really had a good track record. And, you know, who makes these hires? You know, Jeffrey, Howie, they're all in on those meetings and those interviews, and they're the ones making the picks. And I, I'm sure Doug, you know, might have a little bit of say. He didn't have any say in Schwartz or even Reich, really. Both those guys were kind of preordained before he got I don't, think, I don't think Doug's going to have a say in the defensive coordinator this time around either. 
Yeah, he probably probably won't. I mean, it's probably, you know, Matt Burke is probably the leader in the clubhouse at this point. They're just going to run back, you know, the Jim Schwartz style of defense, good D-line, go soft at the linebacker spot. And, you know, their secondary is a mess right now. Who's going to play safety for them next year? But, um, but yeah, as far as the coaches go, they don't have a good track record. And asking him to hire one good offensive coordinator that moves on to a head coaching job and then hire a second one to replace him, that's asking way too much. Way too much. And, I mean, if your offensive-minded head coach is so dependent on his offensive coordinator, you don't have a good offensive-minded head coach. That's just the truth. Mm-hmm. So, Ed, what do, what do you take on this Jim Schwartz retirement? Do you think this is more – I mean, what does your feelings tell you? Is it more Jim than it is the Eagles? Because I believe it's more Jim um, from all likes and purposes of what I've heard, too. It's, it's more of a Jim decision than it was an Eagles decision uh, to retire and step away from the game this year. But, uh, I mean, the grass isn't always greener when it comes to defensive coordinators, as we've been talking about. Uh, what's your thoughts on Jim's retirement? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's been here five years. You know, that, that's a good long time. He's he won a Super Bowl. He's a Super Bowl-winning defensive coordinator, however that looked. I know he gave up over 500 yards to Brady and the Patriots, but still, um, he got them there. Yeah, the bend and don't break. It worked for the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, just giving up. 500 total yards of offense in two of your last three games. I mean, that that's not a good look. And I think he wow. kind of saw that, you know, he needed a change too. And he's looking what he has coming back. And, you know, this defense is going to look a whole lot different. I mean, look at that secondary. you got to get somebody to play opposite Slay. Um, you know, is Jalen Mills going to be back now that Jim's not here? He was such a big proponent. Jim was a Jalen. I thought Jalen Mills deserves to be back. He definitely deserves to be back. He played way better than the fans give him credit for this season. That transition to safety was really great. I th- I think there's something to build upon there for sure. Yeah, and just the flexibility he has to kind of go in-game, switch back and forth from safety right. to corner if, if the emergency rises. And emergencies always arise with this team injury-wise. So um, that flexibility is invaluable. He became, I think, more of a leader. Uh, he was the team's second leading tackler this year, even though he missed the last game against Washington because he was on the COVID list. Um, I think he deserves to be back. But, you know, as far as Jim goes, I mean, I think if they run it back with the same defense with Matt Burke, who's a big Schwartz disciple, um, I don't know how successful it's going to be. I think they need to go outside the box here with a D coordinator, um, maybe someone that values all levels of the defense and doesn't put so much pressure on the defensive line to get it done because when that's shut down, you're vulnerable on the back end. So um, I just think as far as Jim goes, he just kind of saw the handwriting on the wall that this defense could be kind of declining, Uh, a lot of decisions to be made on that defense, and he just didn't want to be a part of it. He wanted to kind of step away, and, you know, we saw him do it after he left Buffalo as their D coordinator for one season. He took a year off from the game and um, came back recharged, and I think that's kind of what he needs, and that's the way he approached it. I think it was his call. Um, the Eagles probably wanted him back, but I just think Jim felt it was time to step away again after five years, recharge the batteries, kind of saw what this defense was going to look like maybe next year and the year after and just decided that you know he didn't want to be a part of that. Right. He, he, I think he just saw the, wall, uh, the, the writing on the wall for a sinking ship. I think that's what it was. I mean, he 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 saw what happened when he was in Buffalo, Doug Marone, sinking ship. I think he's seen the same thing here. Um, also, I think they, I mean, from all likes and purposes, they they they've built up Matt Burke for this this promotion. I mean, when they first brought Matt Burke in, I mean, I thought that was the most coverage for because they for when they first added him, he was like what a consultant. To the yeah. Yeah. They, made, they made that a huge news thing, though. Like, there was a lot of attention driven towards that. And then they promote him to D-line coach last year, which a lot of news went into that because it was kind of a surprise fire of Philip Daniels to replace him with uh, Matt Burke. I think they've been prepping Matt Burke for this. And, you know, Matt Burke even talked about that. Was he, you know, his contract was up after the first year when they brought him in and the Eagles and Schwartz talked to him about what the situation was going to look like in 2020. Yeah, he'd be the D-line coach. But, you know, maybe this decision by Jim wasn't this snap you know, decision made over 24 hours, it could have been something that he had been thinking about even coming into the season. And maybe he told Matt that, that, listen, I'm not going to be here, you know, beyond this year or much longer, whatever it is. And, you know, you might be in line to become the next defensive coordinator if you take this defensive line coach. I mean, who knows what was said, but Matt Burke talked about that was, 
They specifically talked to him about the situation uh, with the team and then this role that he was going to be in. Uh, and that was attractive to him. So who knows? I mean, maybe this Schwartz thing was something and I'm just speculating. I don't know. Uh, no, I, I think it's 100% that way. I, I, I definitely believe it. I, I, I would be shocked that Jim Schwartz is not a defensive coordinator in 2022. Yeah. But I, but I'm just saying that maybe it wasn't, you know, on Saturday before they played Washington, he said, I'm going to just retire. I, I know I'm just, yeah, gonna no. away. I, I, he cited I, the surgeries and I feel like that, I, I, that's, I think that's the truth. Yeah, I think he probably had seen this coming, you know, how, how far back, I don't know, but it, maybe it was back when they talked to Burke. Maybe he said to him then, you know, listen, I've been, this will be my fifth year. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. If you stick around and um, do well as the D-line coach, you could be in position to be a defensive coordinator again here in Philadelphia. And I'd argue he did do well with the defensive line this year. I Look, that's that's one of the, the moves that the Eagles can make that I won't hang my head on. I mean, I I can I would I would not mind giving Matt Burke a chance. I thought he did well in Miami too. To be honest with you, he was kind of a scapegoated for Adam Gase's horrible tenure that it was there too as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I would not mind Matt Burke. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, oh let's get away from the Jim Schwartz stuff. And I, I agree. I mean, the one that the one person that's out there right now that's really catching my eye is Terrell Austin of the Pittsburgh Steelers secondary coach, mm-hmm. uh, defensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions before, was a great defensive coordinator, thought he should be a head coach in this league. I don't understand why he, he was not given the opportunity to be a head coach in this league. He's interviewed for the position multiple times, but uh, he has great ties with the Ravens and what he did with their defense over there. Great ties, what he did with the Detroit Lions defense uh, after the Jim Schwartz era ended, coincidentally. Uh, and then what he's doing with the Pittsburgh Steelers secondary now, I mean, that's one of the best secondaries in the NFL. The Eagles need – look, you're invested as much as you possibly can on this defensive line. I don't care who your defensive coordinator is going to be next. That defensive line is going to be good. You have too much talent on it not to be good. Uh, whatever scheme they bring in – and I know a lot of people are, are clamoring for the 3-4 lately. I, I mean – They don't have the linebackers for that. They don't, a, and they don't. And, I mean, asking Brandon Graham – but yeah, you can't move him back there at 33. Oh, exactly. I'm not asking any. I mean, Josh yeah. White and Derek Barnett, maybe you got me there. Maybe with that. But Brandon Graham at this point, no. Asking Fletcher Cox to be a, a three-tech at this point, no. I mean. I, no, it's a bad idea. I thought it was a bad idea when they when Chip came and put the 3-4 in. Yeah, I'm not a fan of 3-4. But not only that, it's, it, it's not like teams run. There's no traditional 3-4 teams anymore anyways. I mean, I know everybody's going to be like, well, what about the Pittsburgh Steelers and all that stuff? I mean. Most of these guys are, are are still doing attacking four threes. Like it's, it, there's no dedication to one defensive uh, scheme anymore. Anyway, so uh, I don't understand why that's becoming a focus for some people. But uh, I stick with what they're doing now. I'm fine with what I think your point about the DB coach Terrell Austin. I I said I think that the Eagles should hire a defensive coordinator with defensive back coaching experience. I mean, Marquand Manuel uh, has that, um, but I just think. Given the way this secondary is, I think having a coach that knows how to deal with a secondary would help this defense. And you can keep Matt Burke as your D line coach. Um, and nobody's lined up to hire him, so perfect. Yeah, and, yeah, and then bring in a you know a defensive back, defensive coordinator um, that can teach this secondary how to play, and you know instill kind of a, a system that works for that defensive back field. Because you know I don't think Schwartz did that. Uh, very well. I just think that um, if you have a coach that comes in that has that kind of experience with defensive backs, that would help this team. Of course, getting some players helps too. And who knows who the those players on the back end are going to be at safety and and cornerback, uh, other than Slay and um, you know McLeod's older now, and you know who knows what he's got left. I'm not sure. Marcus. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the reason why I picked Tyler, Tyler Austin is before. He got there. The Pittsburgh Steelers secondary was a mess. Yeah. Well, they got Minka Fitzpatrick. That helped. Right. Um, and they have Joe Hayden. That helped too. But right. Joe Hayden's career resurgence is partially dedicated to Terrell Austin. Yeah. So, I mean. And I, and I, I was a defensive back coach in New Orleans. Um, who is that? It's not Junta, is it? Um, but he, you know, the defensive backs in New Orleans, whoever that is, uh, his name, I'm drawing a blank, but. um. You know, he worked with Marshawn Lattimore. You know, I know Lattimore was a top 10 pick, but not all top 10 picks work out from as a cornerback. Uh, yet, yeah, you're Lattimore, right. It was Peter uh, Guinta. Yeah, you're right. Well, yeah, what's his first name? Peter. Peter Junta. Yeah. So, I mean, 
you know, he's a guy I would look at too, but I'm not sure the Eagles are going to look at any of these guys, but I like a guy with a D back background that can come in as your coordinator and, and make that backfield work and make that one of the strengths of the team. I know it, the defensive line and the secondary go hand in hand. And, you know, we've seen the Eagles D line be so good all these years. Maybe it's time to maybe kind of focus on the back end now a little bit. So since you've been thinking of names, do you think of any names for offensive coordinator? Cause now I'm curious. Um, well, I, you know, no, no, I mean, nothing really that I, I mean, I just I want them to stick on like, and I know people are going to be like, Connor, come on, man. Like they just tried this with Rich Gangarello, but I thought Rich Gangarello was the worst Kyle Shanahan disciple you could have possibly put your hands on, to be honest with you. This is Kyle Shanahan disciple over there right now that I would love to see him get an opportunity as offensive coordinator. It's Mike McDaniel. I think their run game coordinator, Mike McDaniel, would be great to come in here and to help Doug bring balance. I think if there's one thing you need to find in an offensive coordinator, it's to find someone that is going to talk to Doug and say, hey, Doug, I'm not here to take your job. Uh, I'm here to help. I'm here to bring you balance because you've lost that completely, my friend. And that's why the Eagles hired me. I think Mike McDaniel, with how the Kyle Shanahan offense has been, would give the perfect balance to Doug Peterson. But I'm always, I want to go with the younger guys. I want to see a younger offensive coordinator because I think Doug needs more creativity. I don't think he's going to suddenly wake up with more creativity like or know how to utilize said creativity because I think he can be creative. Don't get me wrong. I think Doug Peterson can be a creative play caller. I just don't think he can use that creativity to his advantages in the situations that are needed to be used in because he's a really bad situational play caller this last year. So I think a Mike McDaniel, a Ken Dorsey, the Bills quarterback coach, I think it's his time to be an offensive coordinator. I think he'd be I think he'd be a solid guy. I mean, look what he's done with Josh Allen this year on his development. Look what he's the whole entire offense has done in Buffalo. I mean, I would pick apart people from that staff. Ken Dorsey, a young up and coming former quarterback in this league, that'd be a great guy uh to help, you know, rejuvenate Carson Wentz or figure out what you have in Jalen Hurts. I mean yeah, Mike Kafka. I mean, he's worked with Mahomes, you know, down in Kansas. Right. I mean, that's a, it's just, I mean, I was going to say Kafka, but it's probably what? I mean, he's probably going to be Eric Bimey's replacement, you would assume. You would think. But how about, how about a guy like Deuce Staley? I mean, you know, maybe give Deuce a shot. I mean, he's been passed over twice now for the offensive coordinator. Right. If you give Deuce a shot, you, you you better give him play calling. You better give him something to show. Like, <laughs> I need to finally, finally see something where I'm like, I can finally say this is either Deuce's fault or this is what I congratulate Deuce for. Right. I need this like a firm something I can hold on to. Yeah, but I, I would look at in house at Deuce. I mean, why not? I mean, this if he gets passed over again, this will be the third time. And you know, everybody thinks he'd be a good head coaching candidate, but he's not going to get that chance. I don't think unless he comes up as a as an offensive coordinator and the Eagles do something on offense that puts him in a positive light. Um, I would I would look very seriously at Deuce. I'm just going to give. All right, Ed, we've been talking for an hour. It's been a great conversation back and forth of this dysfunction there. We could talk for hours about what's going on with the Philadelphia Eagles right now. But the good thing is you'll be making regular appearances on this podcast as always. Yeah, that hour flew by, I got to say. It really did. I mean, there's just, I feel like we didn't even cover that much, to be honest with you. There's just so much going on with this team to dive into and discuss. I mean, let's do it again soon for sure. We obviously will. Yes, sir. We're always on Eagles Brawl. So, again, you can find all of Ed's Eagles articles on the Eagles Sports Illustrated page of Eagles Mavin. Him and John McMullen, obviously, like I say, every single episode, kill it with the Eagles coverage. I mean, lately you guys have been on fire, though, with the analysts. I mean, uh, you're attacking angles that need to be looked at, which I don't think many outlets are. I think many outlets are thriving on this drama that is the Philadelphia Eagles. But you guys are covering every single aspect of it. Really great job, as always, is what you guys are doing. And, I mean, I also applaud you for not insinuating that the Eagles jumped Doug Peterson when he made that decision to put Nate Suffield in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, hey, listen, Connor, you do a great job. I mean, I'm taking notes of some of the topics that we've discussed here, and I'm like, you know, I, I should be expounding on, uh, you know, our conversations here because you, you really bring it, man. You bring some good stuff. Uh, so I like to talk, man. I like to talk birds. Yeah, man. It's all and it's all good. I mean, I've got let's see, one, two, three. I've got five items written down here that we talked about. That I'm like, you know, I I'm going to be busy this weekend. <laughs> That's all I like to hear, man. I mean, I look, I and what I said earlier, and I think you're probably expanding on it a little bit. Is 
why I think that they lost this game is because I think Howie said, hey, Doug, I'm not going to be able to move up the way I was before, and I wanted to have a high draft pick. Yeah. Let's go ahead and do this. Like, let's go ahead and throw this game or whatever we got to do to make sure that we don't win or at least make it look as not as noticeable as you did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to end the show, yeah. I, I fully, I, I don't support the decision to ever tank. It's not my thing, but this situation, this certain situation, this certain circumstance called for the Eagles to do what they did. I don't agree with how they delivered it. I don't agree with how they went about it, right. but I do agree with what they did. Right. So, I mean, I, I agree. They they did what was best for them. They didn't handle it well, but they haven't handled a lot of things very well. Um, not at all. No, not at all. It's put in with the rest of the stuff that they've made bad decisions on, but I don't disagree at all with, what they did was the right thing for them to stay at number six and not have to worry about possibly moving up or if they want to move back a couple spots. I mean, don't, don't worry about any of that. Let's just do what we have to do, lose the game. Um, but they bungled it, how they handled it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad we ended on that note. So we'll see you guys soon. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.